Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insight. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So hello from Aspen. This is so great. I'm so excited to be here that we are doing a panel today. We're recording on Tuesday. We are at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Um, we're recording before the debates, but it's um, but in the middle of really just a bunch of fantastic programming. I did a panel last night. Kristen and I have a panel today, and then you have another panel. For I mean, it's going to be people will be go- uh, mostly home from Aspen by the time they hear this. Maybe, although I guess right, does it go till the weekend? Tell me about your Aspen experience so far, Kristen. Oh, so my Aspen experience so far has been the the lobby of the hotel. I, I got into the Denver airport late last night. Drove from Denver because we wanted to do this beautiful drive through the mountains. And it actually was very lovely. And it was mostly sunny for until the very end of the drive when all of a sudden it was like, please don't let a deer run in front of this car. Please don't let a deer run in front of this car. Um, But so I have not actually gone out to get my registration bag. As soon as we finish recording, I'm going to go do that. Um, but it, I'm this. I came to the Aspen Ideas Festival back in 2016, and it was fascinating because the Republican convention I don't think had happened yet, and so everyone was still kind of in ah. this like buzzy, like, is this really going to happen? Kind of, <laughs> um, you know. And and obviously, I think the politics of the attendees lean more to the left. It is a nonpartisan yes. event, but it is not really like a bastion of like boatloads of conservatives running around. No, <laughs> so, it did not feel that way. No, um, but, you know, it's. I think back then I was doing a panel where I was talking a little bit of selfie vote, future of the GOP kind of stuff. And surprise, Margie and our panel for Tuesday night is the future of politics, the future of the parties. Um, Margie, what was your panel last night? Because I thought it was something about polling, and I was really yes. sad that I was not here on time to go to it. So I was very excited. I really, uh, it was a great panel. So uh, John Dickerson, who I'm such a fan of but had never met, was the moderator. And Susan Page, who uh, is, I love, and Robert Costa, who we also love, right, who we you know both know, um, and Yamichi from the New York Times, and uh, this other woman who runs a, named Lauren, who runs a civic engagement uh, women's organization who was, you know, r- really interesting too. And talking about the role of pre- the press, what were some of the lessons that the press learned in covering 16 and in covering polling from 16? And are we all going to do better <laughs> this time around, basically? And uh, and so it was super fun. And it was at this place called Belly Up Aspen, which is like a music venue. And I got a text afterwards from one of my sort of colleagues in the industry. And he said, um, somebody I know from preschool is working in the bar <laughs> belly up Aspen <laughs> just texted me to ask me if I knew you. <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty weird. Anyway, so <laughs> that is a small world. But anyway, it was it was super, super fun. I mean, it's always, you know, it was a really good, interesting conversation. Robert Cassett like got asked a lot of questions about, you know, the role of, jur- there were lots of questions about the role of journalism or the public editor of the New York Times. That was what, you know, one of the topics or, you know, how do we talk about weighting data and, you know, and do the polls, the public polls, which we'll talk about today, the public polls reflect what people, what newsrooms want to cover. So there's lots of like, who's electable, who's, 
you know, should Democrats focus on this or that? You know, who's going to win? Remember, we had this in 2018, like, who's going to win the House? Who's going to win the Senate? You know, and they were the same because people didn't know what the maps were, right? And so, you know, there's lots of polling on all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot less polling on, you know, public polling on things like family separation or the issues that, you know, matter to people. There's less of that kind of deep dive on issue polling in the public sphere, privately there's lots of polling on that stuff anyway it was super fun and uh so what, what, I, what i love about belly up aspen like my so my i went to a thing there three years ago yeah which was st- stand-up comedy night which i believe is like a thing they do here every year um i have not yet because i haven't even registered i don't know if it's on the agenda for this year but it was like david brooks doing stand-up uh, you know, which oh my god, I totally like, want to do that. I totally want to do that. It was pretty good. <laughs> Best was Bob Costas. So this is Aspen Ideas Festival. I think is also like a Comcast, NBC, Universal sponsored, whatever. And this was right before the Rio Olympics. So there was also a ton of like NBC. Like I came home with all this like Rio Olympics swag and stuff. Um, and Bob Costas did stand up and it was a riot. It like, he's hilarious. I would legit go see Bob Costas do stand up comedy anywhere. Not um, to be confused with Robert Costa. Not to be confused with Robert <laughs> Costa. They are different. Both excellent on television, not the same person. <laughs> I mean, I have this like, I mean, I think it would be quite like, I mean, do you think he had writers? He must have had writers help him. Like he wasn't, you don't just go out and sort of improv a comedy sketch before a live audience without some sort of, but maybe he does. Maybe he's that talented. I don't know. I'm impressed. I don't know. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what strange adventures I will stumble into in the next like 48 hours while I'm here. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, first, though, we have to record the pollsters before any of the adventures can begin. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is the first thing. So what are the top lines today, Kristen? So we're going to start off talking a little bit about interest in the debate. Um, by the time you all are listening to this, at least one of the debates will have occurred. But we're going to preview how much are people really planning to actually watch these? What do people think about the format? What do people think about the limits on who's in and who's out? We will discuss. Uh, Also, we'll talk a little bit about immigration, um, a big issue that's in the news uh, as of late. We will dive into how trend lines on this issue have changed over the last decade and a half. Two decades, Gallup has data going back a while. Um, We'll also talk a little longer term 2020. There's an American Bridge poll that tries to dive into President Trump's standing with white, rural, and small town voters in some key swing states. Um, We're then going to talk a bit about perception gaps. Um, There's some studies on how Democrats and Republicans misunderstand one another's own views and think one another's more extreme than they are. Um, And finally, there's so many things that we think Generation Z is ruining. Um, We're going to find out whether or not they believe that deodorant is actually a tool of the patriarchy. The numbers might disturb you. <laughs> that wasn't quite how the question was worded, but we can. No, we I can... know, but um, this was that was a slate. There was an article in Slate oh. that was like that, that was the only thing I saw blowing up Twitter this week was that there was I think Slate may or may not have covered this poll, but as a part of the story, they were like. 
So lots of people aren't wearing deodorant, but that's kind of okay because deodorant is solving a fake problem invented by the patriarchy. And I was like, yes, yes, I love you, Slate, so much. (laughs) Slate likes to do the fun contrarian, like, we're just going to flip this. Maximum Slate, maximum Slate. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so first... The debate. So the Democratic debates are coming up uh, Wednesday and Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday. And honestly, there's not going to be any good look. If if it's, if it's you are listening to the show on Thursday or Friday and you are reading alongside of it a poll done afterwards, after the first debate or after the second debate, and you're like, oh, it's too bad Kristen and Margie didn't get to talk about this debate, debate poll, those polls are you know, are fraught. They measure perhaps something, the folks who are listening to the, you know, watching the debate that night and are able to and interested in responding to the survey. They're not necessarily representative of Democrats overall, Democratic primary voters overall. The coverage may be influenced over time differently than folks who are watching it. We've seen that before. There are also other measures of engagement or interest or who quote unquote won a debate other than some sort of moment. There's also who had more web searches, who gets more online support. There's all kinds of all that stuff. I'm just sort of projecting into the future what may happen. You know, we'll just we'll just have to see. But first, before all that, there are a couple polls that just have a little bit on interest in the debate and just kind of awareness of the field in general and people following the field. Because obviously, folks who listen to the show and people who are studying all this stuff, feel like there's just an an incessant amount of coverage of the Democratic field. But according to a new AP and ORC poll, um, only about a fifth of Democrats say they know a lot about the candidates' positions. Two-thirds say they know just a little. And only about a third say they're paying close attention to the campaign, with almost two-thirds say they're paying some or no attention. I don't... Those numbers don't really surprise me. I mean, it's still... You know, it's it's June, right? It's a long way till folks will have to vote in a primary. And it doesn't surprise me that you have large numbers. And also these are Democrats who are registered to vote. It's not of people who are, you know, likely regular, frequent primary and caucus goers. Um, so, you know, so, so maybe a little maybe a little bit different with that group. But it, it doesn't surprise me to see that. Um at the same time, though, Monmouth shows that there is real interest in watching the debates. And so, the, you know, we'll see what the role or or is there an overreporting of interest in the debates? 58% say they plan to watch the debates live. That seems high, but we'll see. Um, 13%, though, say they're excited about it. <laughs> so more people are planning <laughs> to watch it live than are excited. 36% say very interested. I don't know. Is excited like on the same scale as interest? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a strange scale to me. This, Like, I, I read this question and I was like, wait a minute. Okay, so your options are excited, interested but not excited, somewhat interested or not interested. And I kind of get that they're trying to tease out two things, that it's similar to the discussion we had a few weeks ago about the difference between are you excited to vote versus are you motivated to vote? That it's more right. important to say, are you motivated to vote? Because you might not be excited about the person you're going to vote for, but you're motivated to vote because you really dislike the other person or something like that. So motivated takes it away from having to be a positive emotion and allows it to be more neutral and is trying to just measure the intensity. So maybe that's what this is trying to do. Like, I could be a Republican and maybe I'm not excited. 
excited about the debates, but I am interested in the debate. Yes. Although um, I think with an end size of 306, you are probably not included in this question, but still. I, uh, I mean, and also if it is intended to just be for Democratic primary voters I'm also, although, I mean, as a resident of the District of Columbia, it would probably make strategic sense for me to just register as a Democrat so I can participate in these things, like, frankly, because municipal elections are decided by Democrats. But that's neither here nor there. Um, future I, I future oppo, oppo book writers on Kristen. <laughs> but she briefly considered registering as a Democrat. So she can vote for an ANC no. member. <laughs> she can vote for the one office that actually like really directly affects her life. No. Um, so, yeah, I, I this to me, the plan to watch live number is interesting because we know that nowadays with, you know, so many of the kids like cutting the cord. There's lots of questions about what are live TV events that still get people's eyeballs, right? So many things on TV, you can DVR, you can watch later, you can stream at your convenience, but there are still a handful of things, mostly live sporting events, but also I think these big debates are things where you can't, you know, there's such a pressure, like no one's going to be like, wow, I DVR'd that debate. I'm going to kick back on Saturday and watch it because by Saturday, the discussion you'll will have, have an opinion. On. You'll have an opinion because of the three clips that got shared on Facebook or whatever. So you kind of have to watch it live. If you're yeah. going to really watch it, if you're really focused on consuming it, um, you kind of have to watch it live. Now, I'm, I would love to know. Here's a, a free question idea for people who may be polling this. Among the Democrats who say that they're like not paying that much attention yet, is it because they just they like genuinely this is just not a thing that they focus on or I have a number of friends and this is a bad way to like draw a conclusion who say look I care a lot about politics I care a lot about this but frankly I'm just waiting for this field to shrink I'm just waiting for like eight of these people to wake up in the morning and go you know what it's not gonna happen bye-bye we're done here um I'm gonna go you know if I'm Eric Swalwell I'm gonna go have more cafe mochas my comfort food his only correct opinion uh, that like, like I'm just, I'm out. So, um, and, and until that happens, I'm just not going to bother. And so I wonder, is it like the size of the field that's making people pay no attention? Is it that it's so far out or is it that there are just people that are like, look, I really just don't care. Whoever you give me, I'm going to vote for. Yeah, it could be all kinds. It could be, you know, folks are like, this is, you know, this is not the thing that I spend a lot of time on. And people who may or may not be interested in watching one debate, let alone commit to two debates. So, and especially since there are more debates (laughs) around the corner. So, um, so we will see, we'll see if the interest slash excitement slash non-excitement slash plans all kind of line up and we will see i would expect to see, we should expect to see some polling between the time we record and when the debate starts about how people view the debates or what they're expecting in the field we have a lot of issue polls we're going to talk about later briefly where you could see this pattern of of you know different outlets and different organizations trying to be part of the conversation by showing here's what democrats want to talk about or here's what republicans think of trump as we're kind of thinking through what's next for the democratic party or what's next for the 2020 conversation so you see the conversation from you know looking at what the public polling is doing um that shows that this is really you know the conversation is continuing. It's deepening and lots of people are getting involved, even if not all primary voters are quite yet engaged. 
so we have we also have some questions in here about how Democrats are feeling about the debate format. Um, and in this same mammoth poll, it's not just asking about their excitement, but like, what do they think about the format? So they say, have you heard a lot, a little or nothing about what allows you to qualify for the debate? And uh, 40% of Democrats say a little, 39% say nothing. Only one in five really say they've heard a lot about who gets to come in. I know how I'd answer that question. (laughs) I would say, I have heard a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a question that has consumed an awful lot of your brain span for the last couple of weeks. I know. I was out. I was out. I mean, just for new folks, I'm part of the Bullock, Steve Bullock polling team. And um, and so I was I went out with some of the like some of my mom friends, you know, who are not all in politics, not in the same kind of way that, you know, some of our listeners are. Anyway, so I show up. I'm like, hey. And someone's like, hey, you know, how do people qualify for how do they pick who's going to be in the debate? I'm like, oh, like, can't we talk about like you know, snacks, like the best snacks or something like this or something else. And we can just take a break from that, please. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of the other questions they ask then is, do you approve or disapprove of the DNC's decision to limit the first debate to 20 candidates? I thought this was fascinating because normally in questions when you're asking people things like, do you want more options? Would you like more flavors? People say yes. But here, 73% said they approved of the DNC's decision to limit the first debate to 20 candidates. But then they followed up and they said, if 21 or 22 candidates meet the qualifications, should the DNC allow an extra person on the debate stage or should they keep it to their announced limit? And here, voters, Democratic voters are a little more split. 45% said, let someone else on the stage. 49% said, no, keep it just to 10 each night. So generally okay with sticking to 20, but if more people qualified, they're pretty divided on like, how should you handle that? You know, that, that like free gift to surface, like bonus candidate. Yeah. And I mean, I would argue that if there was more information about the various candidates who were, you know, who the extra candidate would be that people may feel even, you know, differently still than sort of the kind of like, like maybe if they won statewide in a state yes. that Trump won and yes. that makes them unique in the Democratic say, yeah, Well, yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, but I don't know. I'm just looking at the public polling. Okay. So now we're going to take a quick break. Then we'll talk about Mr. Trump. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. All right, we're back. And let's take a quick look at the president's job approval. Right now, he is at hovering around 44.5% approval. So again, it's uh, it's been reasonably stable, and this is fairly good position for him. Wow, well, his things- most recent poll was Rasmussen, right? And didn't Rasmussen get into some kind of like... Didn't somebody get into a Twitter fight with Rasmussen? I mean, the Rasmussen poll always ends up improving his average. Yes. Although, to to be fair as well, USA Today Suffolk had him at 49. So that is actually not the best poll in the recent polls for him. It does, for sure, always like his average kind of picks up when Rasmussen is more 
in the mix, but you have the Fox poll and the Economist poll also having him at 45. So it's not that it is totally out of left field. Right. Fair enough. But yeah, there was some sort of Twitter, Twitter beef going on with Rasmussen versus somebody else who graphed approval rating for Rasmussen versus the average of everybody else, every other outlet. And sure, and, and it is definitely gap. the case that when when Rasmussen is added, usually that like gives him you know a half a point boost you know, a point boost in the average, and it also um, you know the uh, the president always loves kind of tweeting out their numbers, um, which you know is fine, but not not okay to just cherry pick like the one pollster that seems to have a very Republican health effect. <laughs> like that's that's not ideal. Right. Um, and I think it was like Nate Silver kind of weighing in and also pointing out that like Scott Rasmussen is no longer with the Rasmussen poll. And so, you know, it's not Scott Rasmussen like left was, you know, departed the company with his name on it and now does his own polling, which Silver had like nicer things to say about. So that's just the, the drama in polling land. Um, you know, the president loves to tweet Rasmussen numbers, but they're not always exactly necessarily um, viewed respectively within the industry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, but at any rate, it's basically the same. It's on the hot, slightly higher level of approval, still underwater, but slightly higher than he has been, but it's, it's still in the same kind of band he's been this whole time. Yeah. Um, but what I think is notable again, is that you've had in the last week, I mean, you've had like are we going to war with Iran? You've had all of this stuff with child separation uh, and the, the status of, of what's going on on the border, which we'll talk about that polling in a second. And yet it does not seem to be depressing his numbers. Yes, indeed. Indeed. I mean, I rarely expect to see a, a correlation between something happening and his numbers are so stable for the most part. It's hard to yeah. really expect a correlation between something happening like the E. Jean Carroll allegations or, you know, kids at the border not having soap. Um, I'm never surprised to not see a correlation between all of that. So, Well, let's talk a little bit about immigration polling. We have uh, some new data from Gallup that shows a trend line going all the way back to 1993, where people are asked, what's your top issue? And in this poll, they found that immigration was really only the top issue for, you know, a very small portion of people up until kind of the mid aughts um, around the time that the Bush administration uh, sort of was pushing its policy of, you know, what became known on the far right as like, this is amnesty, we can't do this. The Bush's comprehensive immigration reform uh, plan, you know, is attempted and fails. Immigration spikes around then to 19%, people saying it's the top issue um, or what, the most important problem to them. The numbers then fall. They spike again around the, it looks like to me, the 2014 midterm, which it could be, I mean, again, you had the Ebola scare, like you had a lot more. And I also think that was around the time, wasn't there a, a un, unaccompanied minor story from that mm-hmm. summer as well? Mm-hmm. So you saw it spike again to 17%. But really since, to that, really since Trump took office, that number has just been increasing, 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 increasing steadily. It's not just like spiking in response to one thing. It's like, it has gone up pretty significantly, and it is now at 23%, which is the highest they have recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that they have asked is, would you prefer for immigration to be kept at its present level, increased or decreased? 
the percentage of Americans saying immigration should be decreased has actually fallen from the like early 90s. Um, and it is really only at like 35% where the percentage that say we should be having more people come to the U.S. has gone up um, is now at 27%. That used to be down in the low single digits in the 90s. Um, so at the same time as more people are saying it's a top issue, you are not seeing an increase in people saying, I want fewer people in the country or I think immigration is a bad thing. Here's the challenge with uh, these questions, too. And, I, and here's what I think is also worth noting, right? This percent that say it's the most important issue, it, it is pretty partisan. I mean, the way it's phrased, it's just immigration, right? It doesn't say it, it, there isn't a, an issue position or value kind of elaborated. It's just the word immigration or it's just co- coding people saying immigration. Um so it's one of the challenges with how you ask these most important issue questions or how you code them or how you look at them, right? Because you could, if, if you're doing this in a closed-ended way in your own survey, have things like abortion, taxes, immigration, uh, jobs, healthcare, and some of those things, you know, jobs, presumably you mean more of them or more better paying jobs, but healthcare, well, what does that mean exactly? Is that, you know, what does that mean? Your costs are too high. Does that mean better access for other people? You're not really sure what the sort of poll or value is of those individual issues. So when you see immigration, does that mean there's too much illegal immigration? Does that mean the, the way we're treating refugees and asylum seekers? Um, what, you know, what does it, what does it mean? Um, so I think it, that's an interesting way to, to think through this. However, the percent that's, it is a partisan, there is a partisan divide in the percent who say immigration is the most important issue, but it's far more likely to be Republicans than Democrats. So I don't want to, you know, ignore the fact that there's a real partisan divide here, even though we should acknowledge that that immigration thing doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to everybody. But I think the fact that people have actually far more nuanced views about immigration more specifically beneath the surface, I think is really, really important to remember that anytime somebody says immigration is the most important issue, it doesn't mean, you know, the fact that that surge doesn't mean that, you know, there's a huge amount of the country that's you know, that's overwhelmingly far to the right in the same way that Trump is using the same language he does in immigration. You know, it's not to minimize the folks who do share his views, but the public is is not where he is. The public is more nuanced. Yep. Um, the other thing that I thought was fascinating about this Gallup data is they wanted to ask people about what is the impact that immigrants have on our country. Um, and, you know, again, it's Republicans that are the most likely to say this is a big issue for them. And of course, they have more conservative sort of, you know, um, skeptical of, of immigrants, immigration views on a lot of questions typically. Um, but the net, again, is that America feels that immigrants are contributing positively. And they ask a bunch of questions about in each of the following areas, are immigrants making the situation in your country better, worse, or not having much effect? Um, food, music, and the arts. Significant majority say immigrants make our country's food, music, and the arts better. say they make the economy better. 31%, however, say worse. 25% say no effect. So a little more, uh, a little more uncertain there. Um, On social and moral values, pretty split. 31% say better. 28% say worse. I feel like that's a strange question and would be hard to unpack in a lot of ways. Right. Like, Um, what are you talking about exactly? You know, what are people thinking of? The, the, the two that are sort of the most kind of net, net negative, if you were subtracting worse from better, our taxes and the crime situation. And there it's not so much that you have, uh, and that's because very few people think immigrants are making taxes and crime better. 
uh, you know, large numbers just say they're having no effect. But 42% of Americans think that immigrants make the situation with taxes worse, which I assume what they mean is expenditure of tax dollars. I, I, I that guess. also confused me. Um, and then crime situation, I think, is a little more straightforward. Um, but the majority or half say immigrants have no effect on our crime situation. So um, that's that's the current sort of standing of uh, what Americans think. But, you know, 55 percent say immigrants uh, mostly help the economy by providing low cost labor versus hurting the economy by driving down wages for many Americans. Um, so the politics of this issue remain very complicated. Yeah. I mean, the crimes, you know, the numbers in the crime situation are pretty discouraging and striking. And I just, you know, I suspect a lot of this, how much of this has to do with people's perceptions of the news coverage that they hear. I mean, certainly the president tries to lift up stories about crime um, as opposed to people's personal experiences. I mean, people always feel pessimistic about crime broadly, taking the immigration piece out of it. Very rarely do people say, you know, crime's getting better. People often say crime's getting worse, you know, no matter what is really happening in the crime rate. But regardless, um, you know, I, I think a lot of this comes from, you know, sort of how people view news coverage or their news consumption. So the next issue, so there are a couple other issue polls, as we mentioned, there's an American Bridge poll. American Bridge is an organization that does a lot of research, provide not opinion research per se, but although this is opinion research, but research into, you know, whether folks on the right and holding them accountable. And so they did a four state poll of white Rural and small town voters in Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. So these are states that Trump won that are seen as uh, battleground opportunity states for um, for a Democratic candidate to win back. And so, you know, this part of this conversation that this thread in our discourse on a regular basis that, you know, Democrats may do well in X, Y, and Z areas, but can they improve their margin in predominantly white, rural, smaller towns with folks that voted for Trump last time, can they do a little bit better, not necessarily win those areas, but do better than they did before? So this looks at those folks. And so it's 1,700 in size total across all the four states, a little bit more in Florida, 400 in the other, 500 in Florida, 400 in the other three states. And they got terminated out liberal Democrats. So anyone who's a liberal Democrat but lives in a small town in rural Wisconsin, they're not included. And, you know, it's they ask a lot of the same questions that you see in some other polling, looking at the image of the president, the reelect, and also some of the key issues and metrics and healthcare in particular is one that really stood out. And I think it's consistent with what the 2018 conversation was about in the midterms. And is there a a sense that there's going to be a new, you know, Republican plan or a new Republican message on healthcare? Um, I know there's been some sort of teasing in the press about it, but I haven't, you know, I don't, I don't think that's something that's really happening yet. and But currently, Trump has an overwhelming 42-point negative job rating on reducing healthcare costs, um, on taking on the drug and pharmaceutical companies, a double-digit negative job rating. You know, the strongest negative approvals of Trump are, you know, are on his uh, on, uh, Medicare cuts and support for healthcare plans that jeopardize coverage for pre-existing conditions. I mean, this is, you know, kind of to give guidance, this is different kind of polling than some of the public polling that has kind of like yes, no on things. This is about like giving some guidance or showing, you know, the message vulnerabilities of the president and that healthcare 
continues to be pretty salient is not a surprise and interesting. What did you think when you saw this? Yeah, I mean, so look, I'm I'm a Republican, so I take it with a grain of salt. It's coming from a group that exists to go around and track Republicans and beat the snot out of Republicans and say how horrible Republicans are. So in the same way that if I were to put an America Rising poll in the script, you would probably look at it with a grain of salt and go, oh, I wonder what numbers they're not including here. Again, yes. I'm not here to carry water for the president, but I just, American Bridge is not a group that tends to be very nice to a lot of people that I do support in office. So setting all that aside, um, I mean, I, look, the idea that President Trump has a lot of people who are in these small towns who maybe they're feeling the pinch from, you know, things like the trade issue. I mean, the drug and pharmaceutical one, that that number seems very uh, correct to me. You know, this is something Trump has talked about wanting to do is try to take on the drug and pharmaceutical companies, but like has never actually, you know, to my knowledge, there has not been concrete action on that front. Um, so there are, I, I think, a lot of areas where it is for sure the case that I think Trump has like vulnerabilities with these groups for sure. I just, whenever I see a group coming, a poll coming from a group that like exists to make life miserable for people in one party or the other, I just wonder, like, I wonder if there are things that they pulled that were not in here. Well, here's probably something that you can agree with without doing a lot of introspection and reflection. 85% say they never receive their news from Twitter. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> Surely we can all agree that Twitter is not real life. <laughs> yes. And I, I thought that was a good finding because when the president always talks about how the reason why he tweets is yeah, it's a direct line to people. But what it does is it also just drives traditional news coverage so much when he tweets. Um, so, but, but I, like, I am always a big advocate of the, hey, guys, remember, Twitter's not real point of view, for sure. Yeah. So here's an, you know, we just happen to have a variety of, or a couple different, you know, Democratic groups doing polls to be part of the conversation. Um, and, you know, last week when I had dug in Kristen's absence, we talked about the various Republican Republican polling drama. But if they're, you know, I don't know if they're going to be, I wonder if they're going to be Republican outlets trying to be part of the dialogue somehow or showing that, you know, the Democratic candidates are vulnerable in X, Y, and Z issue. I haven't seen so much of that yet. But, you know, when that comes, we'll talk about it too. Um, Sierra Club did a poll with Morning Consult of Democratic primary voters. And you know, this one, you know, it, it was shorter. It wasn't a, it wasn't about message guidance the way the American Bridge one was. Um, and it had vote question and it had like, do you think there should be a climate change debate? And people said yes. Um, and then they had two other questions. One is how worried are you about climate change? Overwhelmingly, people said very Democrats. These are Democrats said very worried. And then this is one. This is something I haven't seen very often. Thinking about the 2020 presidential primary, how important is a candidate's plan to tackle climate change in your decision about who to vote for? A hundred percent said very important. You can't get a hundred percent of people to say yes to anything. <laughs> it turns out you can get a hundred percent of Democrats to say climate change is very important, not compared to any other issue. You know, I'm not saying it's not important, but, um, you know, that's just... Does, does this show the full range of views on climate change? I guess not, since they all said the same answer category. But that's just, yeah. you know, a thing, <laughs> a thing to consider as you are looking at these kinds of things. 
Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk briefly about perceptions that people have of the opposing party and whether they are right or wrong. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so we're back, and this new poll is called The Perception Gap, and this is based on the different hidden tribes. Um, that's their title, not ours. Hidden tribes of, you know, seven political tribes, and we've talked about this before, you know, progressive activists, you know, devoted conservatives, et cetera, et cetera, um, and this uh, poll looks at what different folks think of the other side's points of view. And it has a series of questions and they ask Democrats, what do you think Republicans' views are? And they ask Republicans, what do you think Democrats' views are? They ask independents the same. And then they ask Democrats, well, what are your actual views on these issues? And they ask Republicans, well, what are your actual views? And so then tried to capture what they called the perception gap. So that's I think pretty interesting as a thing, to, as a line of inquiry. I've seen something like this in other polls that we've done or that I've seen publicly where people's perception of their own party is more moderate than the other, than their perception of what the other side is like, more nuanced, maybe moderate, maybe it's not the quite word, but you know, more nuanced than the other side's perception. And, you know, I guess at some level, there's, I mean, what's right is your own, your own perception of your own point of view is more correct, you know, in the aggregate than what some outsider says is the perception of that group, right? But what's also interesting is the questions that they use. So why don't you talk, Kristen, what do you think about some of these questions and, that elicited the most, the highest perception gap? Yeah. So for instance, um, they asked people, do you agree or disagree with the statement, most police are bad people? So among, among Democrats, uh, like it looks like eight, over 80% said they disagree with that statement. But Republicans seem to think that like less than half of Democrats would disagree with that statement. And frankly, independents, their estimates are right about the same place as Republicans. So both independents and Republicans think that Democrats are like, divided over whether the police are bad people, where when you actually ask Democrats, how do you feel about about cops, it's, it does not turn out to be nearly so negative. Um, another example of this is they said, do you agree or disagree? I am proud to be an American, though I acknowledge my country's flaws. Significant majority of Democrats, over three quarters, say they agree with that statement. They're proud to be an American, even though they acknowledge that America is not perfect. But for Republicans and independents, they think only half of Democrats would say yes to that question. Um, big gaps on things like it is important that men be protected from false accusations pertaining to sexual assault. 
Actually, 75% of Democrats say, yes, it is important that men be protected from false accusations. But Republicans think that fewer than half of Democrats would say yes to that. So these are some real, like, pressing directly on, like, the nerves of, you know, hot button issues. They do it the other direction for then, you know, what do independents and Democrats think about Republicans? And there are big gaps there on things like immigration, um, that like properly controlled immigration can be good for America. Over 80 percent of of Republicans say, yes, properly controlled immigration can be good. But Democrats think only half of Republicans would say yes to that. And a similar gap exists for the statement racism still exists in America and many Muslims are good Americans. Again, large majorities of Republicans saying yes. But Democrats think Republicans are pretty split on those issues. Yeah, I mean, I think this would be. Like I said, the, like trying to figure out the perception gap, I think, is a worthy goal. Um, I feel like these phrases are not like totally parallel between the D and R list. I, I, I just think that they're tricky. Like there's a lot of things that make each one of these tricky that I worry about sort of extrapolating some kind of big picture conclusion about the perception gap based on these results. So, for example, racism still exists in America or sexism still exists. Like those are really, or Donald Trump is a flawed person for that matter. Those are all on the Republican list. Um, You know, those are pretty, I mean, those are a lot easier to say yeah to, to agree to those. Um, Because like, you know, you, you could say, you know, racism is not as omnipresent as it once was, or, you know, it's, you know, it's it's not the main reason that, you know, the main obstacle that people of color face. I mean, you you know, that, that's something where it's clear what the point of view is, but to say still exists means like, you know, are you just saying like it exists somewhere, some by someone, you know, and that's just an easier lift, I think. And that's why you see that gap so high there, because Republicans say, sure, it still exists. You know, they may disagree on what to do about it or how much or where or extent of it, et cetera. But the like, it just seems like a lower bar. And so, uh, you know, maybe these questions were designed to be, you know, to reveal the extreme difference in the perception, but then, you know, I, I just find a little, I don't know. I just find some of these complicated. Like the ICE one is not a, and that's on the Democratic list. That abolishing ICE is, is something that there's been polling about it. There have been Democrats saying it. It's not a like nationwide dialogue point uh, is my sense in the same way as some of these other ones. So I'm not surprised that one has a smaller perception gap than some of these other things. Um, most police are bad. I mean, that just seems like, kind of a crazy thing to ask like people to to whether they agree or disagree. I mean, that just seems so strong. Um, so anyway, so some of these I just feel a little conflicted by. I don't know what the, you know, some of them seem like easier lifts for people and some of them seem, you know, s- seem a little bit harder. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what fascinates me is that, again, if we have this idea and maybe this is because I'm in this like, I just saw Arthur Brooks's, he gave a talk about his Love Your Enemies book, the idea that like a big problem we have in American politics nowadays is contempt, that people feel utter contempt for those on the other side because they just have this perception of what their views are that is not, hey, you and I just disagree on an issue, but like you hold beliefs that make you a fundamentally bad person. Um, And that is like this to me, this data sort of supports 
some of Brooks's conclusion that like, if we have such divergent beliefs, not about does racism still exist, but do we agree on whether or not racism still exists? Like, do we believe that one another holds views that are, do we have accurate visions of what one another views? Like that to me, I think is an interesting finding. So um, I, I will also point out, however, the one number where there is almost no difference between perception and reality is whether or not Republicans believe Donald Trump is a flawed person. <laughs> about half of Democrats think Republicans say Trump is a flawed person, and about half of Republicans do say Trump is a flawed person. So there's one thing where we, we, are, uh, we are closer in line. I mean, we're all flawed people. I mean, that's the thing about that question. Like, we're all flawed people. Who are the people like, nope, not flawed person? I mean, we're all flawed, every single one of us, even, even you know, the presidents who are not Donald Trump. All of us are flawed. Um, so anyway, so at any rate, I don't – I'm not surprised that there is a perception gap. And also, you know, I, I don't know what to make of the fact that that there's a larger perception gap in Republicans' views of Democrats than Democrats' views of Republicans. But maybe I, sh- I shouldn't really make too much of that difference. Um, and then – What you yeah. do find is there's, there's a question uh, or a chart they have later on that sort of talks about um, the perception gap broken out by those like seven groups that they have. And it finds that the devoted conservatives and the progressive activists have the biggest perception gap. And it will also come as no surprise then that people who read Breitbart News, Drudge Report, Red State, Hot Air, listen to Rush Limbaugh, listen to Sean Hannity's show, or primarily get their news from Slate, BuzzFeed, Daily Coast, or Huffington Post are among those with the biggest perception gap. But actually, if you're watching, like, if you're getting your news from social media, New York Times and Fox News, like, those were all kind of in the middle. Um, things, if you're getting your news from MSNBC, CNN, or the major networks, or from religious news sources, you tended to be kind of in the, like, you had very little perception gap. So really, I mean, there's also this correlation between the political extremes thinking worse of one another, but also they tend to get their news from outlets that are portraying the other side as, like, its worst version of itself. Right. And so the partisan, the difference in partisanship and the perception gap is stronger with Republicans. So, you know, more, the more partisan a Republican is, the much higher their perception gap is that the slope of the line among Democrats is not as steep as it is with Republicans. And then the other thing, which was interesting, they, uh, they talked a little bit about in the same report about educational attainment and how that related to having friends holding the same political views that among Democrats, this seems like the kind of thing that Patrick Ruffini would like to tweet if he hasn't already. This seems like right up his alley that, you know, among Democrats, there's a real education gap in the percentage of, uh, you know, how, how, um, homogenous, the political views are, are self, you know, self-reported political views of one's friends. So more educated Democrats are more likely to say almost all their friends have the same political views. Less educated Democrats are less likely to say that. There's no difference by education among Republicans. Less educated Republicans and more educated Republicans have a similar percent that say almost all of their friends hold the same political views. It also shows, and I think this is fascinating, the more educated you are, Republican and Democrat alike, although there's a stronger relationship or a stronger slope of the line for Democrats, um, the more educated you are, the more you misperceive the other side's point of view, which I think is right. totally fascinating. Yeah, right. And part of that is because the 
you know, educational attainment and partisanship link, but not solely. So very interesting. Okay. It's summer now. So, you know, young people, maybe we should talk about this on our panel today. Um, (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) There's like this meme, you know, like millennials are ruining X, you know, avocados, breakfast, sex, beer, whatever, all these things, Um, you know vacation, whatever. Um, I don't know if you saw, this is not related to this at all, but just this was on my mind, the article in the Times about people's honeymoons getting ruined because they spend the whole time trying to find the right Instagram shot. (laughs) Did you see this article? (laughs) No. (laughs) It was quite, I mean, I was just relieved to be too old for any of that nonsense, right? People like, they just had interviews with couples were like, well, I wanted to go here and just hang out. But then she was like, we have to go here by sunset because that's where that's where all the f- best photos are and so on. <laughs> like, people like, you know, it just really changed how people's uh, planned and executed their honeymoons in a way that like added stress to their relationship, to their new relationships, new marriages that made me sad, but was also like an interesting kind of age generational difference. But this was in somehow pop came rose to the top of the like Google search of polls going on right now after all the debate and Trump nonsense. Um, you gov, but then this was amplified everywhere found about four. I love the I love the way this was written found that 40% of people brackets ages 18 to 24. That's the definition of people do not typically use deodorant. And then it had the poll and I don't – what type of deodorant do you prefer? I, I like didn't even really think through – I mean, I, if I had to write this poll, I wouldn't even know – I wouldn't even understand the, how to put these categories together, I guess. Um, Roll-on, gel, solid, other – I guess those like those stones that people use. Or I do not use deodorant. What yeah, did you think I, of this? As spokesman I, spokeswoman for the youngs, what I, did you think of this? I spokeswoman for the youngs. Well, first of all, Gen Z – I, I am not Generation Z. I do not identify as Generation Z. So I am not responsible for age 1824. Um, I, the only, <laughs> honestly, all I could think about was the graphic that is on this poll is a picture of a woman holding her arm up and her <laughs> underarm is sweaty. And I'm so grossed out that I like can't even look at this page. So that's my official position on this. Horror show. Horror show. Um, yeah. How can this be? They must have had like a small sample size and it's because it just doesn't make any sense. That just seems not right. I I wonder if there is a gender gap as well. And I actually wonder which way it would run because frankly, guys, you smell worse than the ladies. It's just science. And so uh, like I would hope that of that, like I would hope that 40%, maybe it's just ladies who smell nice i don't know i don't know i got nothing i just can't keep looking at this picture of this lady's sweaty armpit anymore okay here's so here so here's the yuga the yuga poll was not asked in the same way as the screenshot the that I, I don't know if we're maybe spending too much time talking about this but it just said have you this yuga question is have you used deodorant or antiperspirant in the last 30 days and oh my 18, god 20, in the last 30 days, 40 yes. percent of people haven't? Yes. Oh, God. And so among 18 to 24-year-olds, 39% said no. And then it goes down from there. 25, 34-year-olds, 31%. 35 to 44, 22%. 40 to 
45 to 54, 16%. Um, they also, there's a little bit more um, agreement across ages on how, whether you wash your hair daily. Definitely disagree. I'm in the minority here. I'm sorry. You should not wash your hair daily. Okay. So, and also why is the headline of this? Maybe you know the answer to this. Justin Bieber is selling vegan deodorant. Will Gen Z and millennial shoppers buy it? <laughs> so I, the, the, the Bieber 5.0 is such a fascinating Bieber iteration. So like there was, there was Justin Bieber 1.0. See, you, you made fun of me wanting to talk about boy bands last week. So here, yes. here we go. Here's my revenge. Yes, you're back. You're back. And here we are. Justin Bieber 1.0 was teeny bopper YouTube star. Justin Bieber 2.0. Train wreck getting arrested in Europe for drugs and or possession of monkeys. Bad Justin Bieber. Did not like that Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber 3.0 came out with some pretty good hits in like a couple of years ago. Like this was the Bieber renaissance. Um, then like Bieber 4.0 was like he became very religious, like married Haley or like started dating Haley Baldwin. Like that was his thing. And I feel like is vegan Bieber. Bieber 5.0? Maybe that maybe that's where we're at. Like vegan Bieber is Bieber 5.0. I, there you I go. hope I In hope I never need to know. I hope I never really need to know about all the different versions of Bieber. But well, I so guess I'm in favor of ve- I guess I'm in favor of vegan deodorant, I suppose, but I am definitely against washing your hair daily. That is just I'm bad for your hair. I'm in favor of deodorant that works. I'm in favor of deodorant that works. Whatever works for you, get it. And this is my position on the hair question is you have to know your own body, right? So I need, if I don't wash my hair every day, it's, it's not great. Like I feel really bad if I go to do a TV hit and it's a day when I like was like, eh, I'm going to skip washing my hair. It looks, it looks fine right now and I don't want to dry it out. And then I get to like 3 p.m. and I'm like, oh, now I feel bad. Like I don't want someone having to touch my hair when it hasn't been washed that morning. So hmm. that to me, like, like know yourself. Everyone's going to have a different scalp. There are some people who can go like a week or two without washing their hair and it's fine because that's their hairstyle. It's about knowing yourself and your body and what works for you. And 99% of the time, folks, deodorant is going to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I guess people are trying to cut costs and that's stick not it a place whenever they can. That's not a place to cut costs. That's not a place to cut costs. Okay. Yeah, it's like 15 bucks a year. You could probably swing it. Okay. What is on the trend line? You you have your kit. Are you recording the show from your hotel room after this? Uh so I've I've got a I've got a fancy audio kit here that arrived from my serious folks. So I'm gonna be taking my my mic and recorder out uh, and roaming the festival tomorrow in search of oh, adventure. Oh. So we'll see what this turns out like. If you so this is all the more reason to tune into the trend line this Saturday at 10 a.m. It is a surprise grab bag of what interesting characters will Kristen get to interview while wandering the Aspen Meadows campus. This will be a ride. All right. Great. Well, enjoy. Hope you enjoyed watching the debates. The percent of you that are both excited and interested and planning to watch live, which I'm sure is 100% of our listeners. And we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye.